This morning, we are continuing in a sermon series that we began at the start of the year. At the start of the year, we talked about the wise people who followed the star, who followed the light, and found the Christ Jesus. And so we started asking ourselves, what is the light that we are following as we come into this new year? And we've been using the book of Colossians as our guidebook of sorts in helping us to think and reflect and consider what is the light that we are following and how well are we following it? The book of Colossians is a letter. Some say it was written by Paul. Some say it was written by someone else. It was a letter that was written to the people in Colossae, people who were uh, new to their faith, who had a certain amount of excitement, but also a certain amount of ignorance. And it's a letter that encourages us, and as along with the people of Colossae, to keep our theology, our right thinking about God, and to translate that right thinking about God into right action in response to God. So uh, that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Let's turn to our scripture passage for today. You'll find that in your bulletin, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please join me as we pray. Lord, as we come into your scripture today, we pray that you will open up our hearts and in doing that, that you will release all of the distractions that we harbor in our hearts. We pray that you will release our anxieties about what is to come or what has not come yet. We pray that in this time, we will be people who are wholly absorbed by your spirit, by your calling, by your voice, and by your heart. May we know you better today than we did yesterday. And in all of our imperfection, may you make your truth known perfectly. We pray alongside Joan of Arc in saying, if we are in your truth, O God, keep us there. And if we are not God, then put us there. Amen. When I went to seminary back in 2003, I fell in love with two things that absolutely changed my life. I fell in love with the academic study of and the personal surrender to Jesus Christ, and I fell in love with kickboxing. Now, I feel like, given the context that we find ourselves in right this minute, the love and study of Jesus Christ doesn't require a whole bunch of justification or explanation. For the vast majority of us here in worship today, our professed love and surrender to Jesus is our commonality, unites us across generational lines, political lines, socioeconomic lines. Our commitment to Jesus is why the majority of us find ourselves here today and find ourselves here week after week. So please excuse me for not delving into that love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to assume that you share some of that with me. But for as much as we have in common in Jesus, I'm not going to assume that each of you feel the same way as I do about kickboxing. I took up kickboxing during my second year in seminary after I spent months running on a treadmill across from the clear glass walls of a group exercise room in a gym. I finally got the courage to try that kickboxing class one day and I was immediately hooked. My love of kickboxing followed me from seminary to my first call, through a move cross country and the birth of my two children, and most recently through my five years serving in Texas, where I was the first called passer to a new church merger, but where I also taught four to six kickboxing classes a week up until the week that we moved here, 16 months ago. Not that I'm counting. I have spent nearly 14 years serving in the pulpit, but I have spent nearly 17 years in gyms. And let me tell you, there is a lot to learn about how people are from being at a gym. One of the most significant things that I learned spending so much time in gyms is that people with good intentions tend to keep their resolve 
for about three to six weeks. During the first two to three weeks of January as a response to all of those well-intended New Year's resolutions, classes and machines are packed. But come around mid-February, just about this time that we find ourselves in right now, things start to go back to normal. The crowds start to thin out, the classes, the lines for classes and machines start to dwindle, and pretty soon we're back to that status quo that sustains us for the other eight and a half months out of the year. So when I read the book of Colossians that sets out to challenge the status quo of the believers in Colossae, I feel like Paul, or the writer of Colossians, is speaking to the believers in Colossae much like a gym instructor speaks to those well-intentioned gym goers in mid-February. He's speaking to a group of people who have heard of something new and promising and who want to be part of it. That's something new and promising being the good news of Jesus Christ. And for as much as they want to be a part of it, their resolve is starting to waver. And they're starting to feel that tug back to the status quo. Put another way, the people in Colossae, they might like that new gym class. They might have bought all the gear. They might even have started eating vegetables. They might talk about it all of the time to their friends and their family, convincing other people to go with them. They might even start to see small changes in their lives as a result of their commitment. But eventually, their desire for comfort, for familiarity, starts to encroach upon their good intentions. And they find themselves right back where they were before they loved the gym, which happens to be back on the couch in their pajamas watching late night television with a late night pizza. They find themselves back to that place where they've always been. Friends, the book of Colossians is reaching out to those believers in an effort to stem that retreat back to what is familiar and comfortable, trying to move these new believers from faith and hope and love, which they received when they learned about the good news of Jesus Christ, trying to move them from faith and hope and love toward knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Which is to say that the book of Colossians is trying to move them and us from merely hearing the gospel to now walking and living the gospel in ways that correspond to God's values. In order to help the Colossians make this move, the letter covers two main things. It starts out by discussing good theology, which is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks while we were in chapters one and two. And then it finishes up with discussing good praxis, which is where we find ourselves today and where we'll end next week. The theology of Colossians is profound. It is simple, but it is not easy. It reaffirms that Jesus is the center of all things, 
the center of creation and recreation, the center of our thought and of our action, the center of all things realized and unrealized. And so it argues that because this is true, because this is what we as Christians believe, that Jesus is the center, then we must respond in action in a way that is congruent with that belief. I want you to listen along with me to how Eugene Peterson phrases our scripture passage for today. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going around in Christ. That's where the action is. See things from Christ's perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, who is your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, then you will show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity, just as Christ was. And that means killing off everything connected with the way of death, killing off that desire to do whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of being shaped by God. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all of that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. The bad temper, the irritability, the meanness, and the profanity. All of that is like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you have stripped off and put in the fire. And now you are dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All of the old fashions are now obsolete. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God has created for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It is your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Now, I know there is a whole bunch in this passage. And I'm going to be really, really honest. This passage is worth our meditation far, far beyond just a few minutes on a Sunday morning. But what this passage is urging us to do in all of its inspiration and pointed direction is to keep disrupting the status quo of our lives each and every day. And to do that by aligning our actions with our beliefs. 
So if we believe that Jesus is the center of all things, the vehicle by which God created the world in Genesis and recreated the world through the resurrection, redefining even death itself from a permanent state into a temporal one, then we need to allow ourselves to be recreated by Jesus too. Let me put this another way. It's not enough for us to say and to declare to everybody that we know that we love kickboxing if we're saying it from the couch in our pajamas with that slice of pizza in our hand. We can say that we love Jesus until we are blue in the face. But if we are not disrupting the patterns of our lives with the values of Jesus, then saying it means very, very little, if it means anything at all. Which then leads us to that question that has fractioned the church for generations. What are the values of Jesus Christ? When we get into the epistles, which are these letters in the back of the New Testament, we get into a lot of lists of do's and don'ts. We have a list like that in our scripture for today. The writer says, get rid of fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. Those lists are all throughout the epistles. And it's important to pay attention to these lists. But sometimes we as Christians get so caught up in these lists, these what I like to call sin lists, that we start viewing them as limited checklists for our behavior and cause some of us to first police other people by these lists rather than first applying them to ourselves. I gotta say, I'm a big believer that God is more concerned with who we are than what we do. And by that I mean, there is one thing on this list that really seems to, to, to encompass them all. And that's greed, which is idolatry. And when we are greedy, all of the things on these lists start to draw us back into that status quo of a life where we are put at the center and God is pushed second. Commentator Brian Walsh, he says this. He says, Paul, or the writer of Colossians, concludes his list of sins with greed, which is idolatry. And that is the heart of the matter. The attitude of the empire, attitude of society, the attitude of the empire, both then and now, is an attitude of insatiable consumption. The attitude of the empire is an economic ideology of unrestrained greed. When I read through this passage the first time, it really strikes me that not just once, but multiple times in our scripture, it mentions living in obscurity and highlights that Jesus lived in obscurity as the Christ. It highlights that we should be content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. 
The book of Colossians is not being coy about anything in terms of the values of Christ or the expectations of us as Christians. If we want to disrupt the status quo of our lives with the values of Jesus Christ, then we need to practice the discipline of raising others up and of taking a step back. We need to practice the discipline of living charitably in such a way that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing and praying in such a way with such subtlety that we are praying without ceasing. As we read this book of Colossians, it appears as though the truth is simple, but it is not easy. We are called to live in the shadow of Jesus Christ We are called to live in second place in our own lives, raising Christ up and being content with our personal wants and needs, taking second place. Friends, it's not enough for us to have good intentions. It's not enough for us to just stay in faith and hope and love. We need to move toward knowledge and wisdom. We can't do that on our personal resolve alone. Some of you um, might know, I am a PhD student uh, in leadership and change, which is a study of adult development. And one of the things that we know to be true in the way that humans grow and change and develop is that the thing that produces change in humans is disorientating situations. It's one of the reasons why children grow so fast, because their whole life is disorientating. They have no control over anything. They're continually being put into situations they don't understand, and they have to figure it out really quick. But as we get older, as we become adults and we get more control over our lives, we get really, really good at avoiding disorientation. We get really, really good at avoiding anything that is uncomfortable, which means we get really, really good at not changing. And that, my friends, goes in the face of what scripture is saying today. Because we follow the God of creation and recreation who recreates even death to be something different than how it was originally intended. Who are we if we are staying the same? Who are we if we are still in the center? I want to close with a, one more translation by Eugene Peterson of our, the end of our passage for today, and he says it this way. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of your house Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. If we are going to go from just hearing the gospel to then living the gospel, 
then we must intentionally cultivate the discipline of putting ourselves into discomfort and going against the status quo and not being afraid of the disorientating situation because we know that we go into that with the spirit who leads us through and who brings us into new life. Please pray with me. God, it is with gratitude and not just a little bit of fear that we stand before you as your children and as your friends, claimed by you not because of what we've done, not because of what we know, not because of how well we've done it or known it, but because you love us. And you love us just as we are, and you do not leave us just as we are. So may we go forward with courage and be people who stand in your values, especially, particularly, when the status quo looks the most comfortable. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.